morning. Hey, my name is Sam Roberts. I have the privilege of being one of your cooperative program missionaries of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. I uh, have the opportunity of leading the mission team uh, of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. Uh, this video that you just, uh, you just saw uh, highlights two of those major events that we have during the year. One day uh, is coming up soon. It's always the first Saturday in October. Uh, registration's still open, so if there's a group of folks, a Sunday school class or uh, another group of individuals in Salem Baptist Church that wants to join us on Saturday, October the 1st at Hot Springs, Arkansas, uh, at the high school gymnasium or high school football field, there, uh, we you can come and gather with another almost 2,000 Arkansas Baptists. I think we're going to have a huge number this year. The Russellville number, because it was right after COVID, uh, was down some. We've averaged about 2,100 Arkansas Baptists gathering on that one day for one day of missions, and that's what it is. It's a five-hour mission trip in the state of Arkansas. Uh, where teams go out all over the, the surrounding area of Hot Springs. Uh, they will do wonderful ministries, and in the process of serving people, they will share the gospel. Here, here's what's so cool about one day. In those 12 one days that we've had so far, we've seen some 850 people come to faith in Christ. Now, I, I want you to think along these terms. That's five hours... Uh, of ministry spread over those 12 years, 60 hours. When you do the, the, the math, here's what it means. During one day, every four minutes, an Arkansas Baptist is leading someone to faith in Jesus. Every four minutes, someone is coming to faith in Jesus. Hey, if you can't come, please, please pray for uh, one day on Saturday, October the 1st in Hot Springs. It's going to be a great time together. We're praying that, uh, that God saves a lot of folks uh, and, and just empowers his church to continue in that process. Uh, One Day is funded almost entirely through your gifts to Dixie Jackson. So let me just say on behalf of Dr. Sonny Tucker, our executive director, and all of your cooperative program missionaries, thank you so much for your faithful giving to both the cooperative program and to the Dixie Jackson State Mission Offering. Um, prior to coming to the state convention, I've served as a local church pastor for some 35 years. Uh, 17 of those was at First Baptist Stuttgart. I'm an Arkansas native. I uh, grew up in a small, rural, northeast Arkansas uh, church, and the worship reminded me of home. Thank you, brother. That was great. Uh, so thank you for the welcome you've given me this morning. I want to invite you to take your Bibles. Uh, turn over to John's Gospel. I'm going to look at one passage in chapter 9, but to get there, we're going to go back to chapter 7. Do, do a little bit of real quick chapter 7 and 8 till we get to that one verse in chapter 9. Before we do, let's pray together. Father, how incredible it is to be in this place with your people gathered for one purpose and that purpose is to honor you it is to worship you for you deserve 
all of our worship. Father, we know of no one higher than you. You are sovereign God, and you deserve the worship of your people. You've said in your word, Father, that when, when your people gather and when they praise you, that you are in the midst. You inhabit the praises of your people. So we are grateful that you are here in this place. And we just pray, Father, that you would speak. Speak through your word. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would have us here this morning. Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing to you, our great God, our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, in John chapter 7, Jesus has made his way to Jerusalem in celebration of the Festival of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Booths, as it was known. It's an annual, week-long celebration, a, a festival like none other in, in Israel. And it commemorates that journey. If you remember in the Old Testament, when God led his people out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness where they camped in these temporary shelters to the promised land, and that 40 years of wilderness wandering because of the disobedience of the people in, in following God. That, that's what this is commemorating. So they gathered in Jerusalem for an entire week to celebrate the, the goodness of God, to celebrate the, the, the presence of God and be reminded about how God's presence led them from slavery to freedom in the promised land Cloud by day, fire by night. Now, the festivals in Jerusalem were highly symbolic. And one of the most prominent symbols of this particular festival were these four huge candelabras that were lit. Fire in each of those. They were suspended in air in the temple. And they were lit. They remained lit through the entire seven-day festival and even on the eighth day as they concluded their, their festivities. And Jews and Gentiles alike would gather in Jerusalem for this festival. Not just the Jews, but Gentiles as well would gather. They even had a court, an area designated in the temple for Gentiles, for those who were not Jewish and they would be reminded of this miraculous deliverance of, uh, of, of God's people by God's hand. Now, in time, this festival also became associated with the expectation of the Messiah. So they not only commemorated what had happened in the past and how God had led them, how God had protected them, how God had brought them from slavery to freedom in the promised land, but it also looked forward to the time in their mind that the Messiah was going to come. So Jews and Gentiles alike were gathered in this place, remembering God's power, looking forward 
to the coming of the Messiah, who the prophet Isaiah said would be a light to the Gentiles. Maybe you remember those passages in Isaiah's prophecy, like in chapter 9 of Isaiah where he said these words, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. He's talking about the Messiah who is coming. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. And then maybe toward the end of that chapter, you remember these words that we read so often during Christmas. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, in order to order it and establish it with justice and judgment from that time forward forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah was looking to the coming of the Messiah. And then in chapter 42, he continues that prophecy by looking uh, and talking about the servant of the Lord. He says, thus says the God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. And then he speaks directly, God speaks directly to the servant, to the Messiah who is coming. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Now, with those candelabras burning brightly, perhaps on that last day of the festival, or, or maybe they're, they're still smoldering and it's the end of the festival, Jesus stands, candelabras in the background, and he says this in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And with those words, Jesus is revealing who he is. He is sharing his identity with Jew and Gentile alike. With those words, Jesus is loudly proclaiming for all people to hear the Messiah that you have been expecting, the one you have been longing for, the one that these candelabras up here that you have lit saying the Messiah is coming. He is here and he's standing right in your presence. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. You do not have to continue to walk in darkness any longer. You can have the light of life this day. Now, those words led to a confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And they concluded in chapter 8 with the Pharisees picking up stones, rocks. They were about to stone Jesus to death because he was claiming to be the Messiah. And the end of chapter 8 concludes this way. Here's what it says. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I want you to keep that in mind. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. And that brings us to John chapter 9. This incredible story that you find at the beginning of John 9 of this man who was born blind. 
Now, of course, the disciples who are with Jesus see this as an opportunity for some theological Q&A. You know, they, 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 they want to act like disciples now. Here's their master, their rabbi, and that's what good disciples would do. They would see something and they would ask a question of their rabbi and they would expect him to answer that, to, to give them a scripture, to give them a, a, a word of truth. And so they asked this question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know that story. You know that Jesus, Jesus saw this man not, not, not as you know, an example of some theological ping pong back and forth with answers, but as an opportunity for the true light of the world to penetrate the physical and spiritual blindness of this man and for God to receive the glory. And he responded, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of the God should be revealed. Now, folks, there's this incredible connection between John chapters 7, 8, and 9. To fully understand this story in John chapter 9, you, you've got to keep in mind John chapter 7 and 8. John chapter 7 sets the scene the festival of the tabernacles, Jews and Gentiles alike gathering in Jerusalem to, to celebrate the goodness of God and to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. That was a major emphasis of this festival. They were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Chapter 8, Jesus reveals himself as that Messiah that they've been looking for the true lot of the world for Jew and Gentile alike. And at the end of chapter 8, the light of the world is driven from the temple. The, the one place where he should have been celebrated, recognized, welcomed, he is driven from the temple. He has left the building and, and this story in John chapter 9 is not some random story of just a, a miracle that Jesus has performed. No, this is a story with a purpose. It's a story that connects the longing for the Messiah with the coming of the Messiah. And, and it's a story that answers a question. It, it, it's a question that the end of chapter 8 begs for us to ask. And it's a question that each of us as followers of Jesus should probably ask in our own lives. It's a question that this church and any church in the Arkansas Baptist State Convention should ask as well. You hang on to that. I'm going to give you the question in just a minute. This story also not only reveals the question but gives us the answer. And that answer sometimes challenges us. Sometimes it encourages us. And folks, I've just got to be brutally honest with you. Sometimes it just punches us in the gut. I mean, it really does. So here's the question. What happens when the light goes out into the world? What happens when the light 
leaves the building and goes out into the world. Jesus, the light of the world, is in the temple, the place where they celebrated the presence of God. And he's driven from the temple and he goes out into the world. And what happens? Now, as we think about that question, I want to remind you of these words of Jesus that he spoke in Matthew 5 in that section of Scripture we know as the Sermon on the Mount. You ready for this, folks? You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and place it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand. It gives light to all who enter the house. Let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, Jesus not only reveals who he is, but he reveals who we are as well. He says, I am the light of the world, but then he looks and his disciples, and he looks at us this morning, and he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So what happens when the light goes out into the world? What happens when the light that gathers leaves the building and goes out into the world? And this story in chapter 9 reminds us that when the light penetrates the darkness, God is glorified and lives can be forever changed. I want to introduce you to a lady I met a while back. Her name is Kay. Kay is a single mother, two boys. One was a five-year-old, highly energetic young boy. I cannot stress highly enough. The other was an infant, a brother who was pound per pound, just as energetic as his five-year-old brother. Now, when Kay walked into our medical dental clinic, that's provided in full free for those who come in because of the gifts of churches like First Baptist Salem to Dixie Jackson Arkansas Mission Offering. She also had with her, in addition to her five-year-old son and her one-year-old son that she had in her, her arms, she also had her niece that she was caring for who was also five years old. Now, this medical dental clinic was in their city's community center. We had partnered with a local church in that area to bring the medical dental clinic to that community. So when they walked in, you could see it in the eyes of these two five-year-olds. This was a gymnasium, a community center. This place is wide open. There's a lot of room to run, and there are metal bleachers on both sides that make a lot of noise. They left Kay real quickly and went to those metal bleachers. And they began to to stomp on those bleachers and make all kinds of noise. And it was just, it, it got loud in there. 
Kay was worn out and she was frustrated. By the time she was escorted to my station where I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with the patients who came through the clinic that day. As I began to talk about the gospel and introduce the gospel, I knew Kay was just way too distracted to hear anything about the love of God. Way too distracted by those five-year-olds running around in the bleachers. Way too distracted by that infant that was clawing and screaming and trying to get away from mom's death grip that she had on him. And I thought, this ain't going to end well. I mean, this is over already. And then I just silently prayed, Lord, I need some help. <laughs> I need some help. And in a matter of just a few moments, God answered that prayer by sending an angel. He did. He sent an angel. Standing next to us was this sweet, soft-spoken grandmother of a lady. I bet you can't guess what her name was. Angel. It was right there on her name tag. God sent an angel that day in response to my prayer. She was serving as a volunteer from her church. And she saw what was going on. She came and she introduced herself to Kay. And in the conversation, she discovered that she knew Kay's family. And they began to talk about family matters. And she kind of sat down by Kay and she began to share with her how recently she had a son who died in a car accident and the pain that that had brought to, to her life and the struggles that she and her family had. And then in a sweet grandmother voice, she just leaned into Kay and she said, sweetheart, could I hold your baby? And Kay eagerly obliged. <laughs> Here, take him. And then she said, if it's okay with you, I'm going to go over there, that first step of the bleacher so you can see us. And I'm going to sit down and hold your baby because this man has something really important to share with you. It was something important for me when my son died in that auto accident, and you need to really listen to what he says. And soon, folks, with no more than just that simple hand gesture of a grandmother, some of you know what I mean, those two five-year-olds, guess where they were? They were sitting right beside Miss, Miss Angel, and they were listening to her sing to them. And I had the opportunity of sharing the gospel with Kay that day. I talked to her about that the struggles that we have are part of our condition as humanity that we live in a fallen world. I shared with her that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and how that included me and her and even Miss Angel over there, that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then I was able to, to, to share with her not only how that sin separates us from God and that if we don't confess that sin before him, that sin leads us to an eternity separated from God in a literal place called hell. I was able to share with her the great love that God has for us that scripture says God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And folks, I want you to know with tears in her eyes, Kay trusted Jesus as her savior. That day, she received new life in Jesus. She received free dental care. She was connected to a local church that could help her with her struggles. It was a good day for Kay. It was a great day for the kingdom of God. Medical Dental Missions is just one of those ministries that you support through your gifts to the Arkansas Baptist Dixie Jackson State Mission Offering. Yesterday, your missions team partnered with Freeman Heights Baptist Church in Berryville. We had our ninth uh, medical dental free clinic of the year. Let me give you some numbers. I know a lot of people love numbers. Of those nine clinics, here's what we've seen happen. We've had over 630 patients. The dentists have, took, have pulled over 650 teeth. That caused a lot of pain for those patients. That's a lot of money that they were saved. We've seen 151 cleanings. Uh, we've uh, given medication to 200 plus people. But in that process, we've also seen 36 people come to faith in Jesus. That's why we do what we do. Yes, we take care of human suffering, the problems that people have, but we do that with the intent of sharing the gospel, that they hear the same story Kay heard. And that brings us back to John chapter 9. The theme verse this year for the week of prayer for Dixie Jackson, Arkansas Missions, is verse 4 of chapter 9. Part of Jesus' response to the disciples with their question. When he said, neither this man nor their parents, his parents have sinned. Then he said this, chapter 9, verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now, for the next few minutes, here's what I want to do. I want to share with you three truths about Jesus, the light of the world from this verse. Number one is this. Jesus embraced his mission with passion. Jesus embraced his mission with passion. Can you hear the passion in Jesus' words? I must do the works of him who sent me. For Jesus, his mission was not optional. It was a must. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment. How many of you have a must list? Sometimes we call it our to-do list. You know, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. This is on my list for today. That's our must list. 
A lot of churches have a must list for those who want to be good church members. You must do this. You must do that. Now, I'm not saying that those things we have on our must list are necessarily bad. Probably most of that stuff is good stuff, okay? It's about taking care of our family. It's about our responsibilities. It's good stuff. But here's what I want you to know personally here. When I look at my must list, these words of Jesus confront and convict me about my list. Maybe not so much about what's on the list because it's not bad stuff that's there, but maybe more about what's not on the list or about where on the list that is. (laughs) You see, for Jesus... His must list at the top that day was this man without sight physically and spiritually. I must do the works of him who sent me. What was Jesus' mission? Well, he spoke it out plainly in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He he told Nicodemus, uh, Zacchaeus that day, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Those are words he spoke in a conversation with Zacchaeus when he also said, today salvation has come to your house. Now, if you remember there in Luke chapter 19, the beginning of that story, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, after Jesus looked up into the tree and saw little Zacchaeus up there, here's what he had to say. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. Now, why was that on Jesus' to-do list, his must list? That day, the light of the gospel was going to penetrate the spiritual darkness of Zacchaeus' life, and he was going to be saved, and Jesus knew that. You go to John chapter 4, and Jesus and his disciples left Judea, and they make their way to Galilee, and verse 4 says, but he needed to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Now, you look at those maps in the back of your Bible, and you'll notice that if you connect the southern kingdom of Judah to the northern area of Galilee, right in between those two is Samaria. So if you're going to make a straight line, you've got to go through Samaria to get there. But good Jews did not think that way. They bypassed Samaria. It caused much more, many more hours of travel. They would not go through Samaria, a good Jew. Why? Because those were half-breeds. Those were people that are different than us. Those are folks that did not go through the exile. They have not experienced everything that good Jewish people have experienced. Those are unworthy people. Those are bad people. We, they are unclean. We are not going to go through Samaria. But Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. Why? Because Jesus knew that there was a woman at a well there in a village in Samaria of Sychar who was living in spiritual darkness and her greatest need was for the living water that only Jesus could provide. Scripture says that because of her testimony in her town that Jesus had to stay there for two days talking to people who were coming to faith as a result. 
Jesus embraced his mission with passion and the passion of Jesus in this verse reminds us that his mission is for each of us and for all of us. John chapter 20, Jesus says, resurrected from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples. He's, he's shown his hands and his, and his side and he says to his disciples, peace to you. Now, as the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. I want you to think through this. Jesus was sent by God the Father with a mission to seek and to save that which was lost. God the Father sent God the Son on a mission to reconcile men and women, boys and girls to himself through his sacrifice on the cross. And now God the Son has sent us with that same mission. You are the light of the world. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, let me show you one more thing here about John 9 before we move to the next point. Now, I've been reading the New King James Version this morning where Jesus says, I must work the works of the one who sent me. If you go to the Christian Standard Bible or English Standard Bible or several other very reliable scriptures, here's how they translate that word. Not I must work, but Jesus says we must work the works of him who sent me. Church, here's my prayer for you. May we embrace the passion of Jesus for the mission that is before us. And may that passion be evident in everything that we do and we say. Second truth is this. Jesus lived with a sense of urgency because of the weight of his mission. Can, can you hear the urgency in Jesus' words here? The night is coming when no one can work. The night is coming when no one can work. Have you ever been working on a project throughout the day and all of a sudden it starts getting a little dark and you say to whoever's there with you, hey, we, we, we've got to get this done. We, that we, we, we've got, we, we got, to, we got to get this done. Night is coming. We can't do the work any longer. Jesus lived with this sense of urgency because of the sheer weight of this mission. A couple of aspects about that weight I want you to understand. Number one is this. Jesus knew that his days on earth were limited. Jesus knew that he came to earth for a particular purpose. And that purpose involved him dying on a cross for the sin of the world. He knew that one day very soon he was going to die. Three days later he was going to be resurrected. And soon he would ascend to heaven. And the, the mission would be left to his disciples. Jesus knew that his days on earth were limited. And soon he was not going to be able to have these conversations with individuals that would point people to their need of God's forgiveness for their sin. Now, John's gospel doesn't include the traditional Christmas story of Jesus' birth. But those first few verses of John chapter 1, to me, the most beautiful description of the birth of Jesus that there is. Just listen to what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of the world. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now follow me, folks. The birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, is that moment in history when the promised Messiah, the promised light of the world, made his appearance into the darkness of this fallen world. And when Jesus says in John chapter 9, night is coming, he's referring to his death that is imminent on the cross when the works that he came to do would be fulfilled. And the reality of, uh, uh, is that his days were limited and that added to the weight of the mission that he felt. Second aspect of this weight of the mission of the urgency is this. Jesus also knew that there were many, many people who would hear the gospel but choose to continue living in darkness. And they would die and they would spend an eternity in hell separated from the God who created them and who loved them. Yeah, chapter 9 includes this incredible story of this man born blind who receives physical and spiritual healing. But you read to the end of the chapter and you'll see that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, the very people who had just celebrated in the temple, the looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, they are really the people who are blind. They have physical sight, but they're spiritually blind. They refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And that's the effect of light, isn't it? I mean, light is welcomed by some, and it's rejected by others. Some people just love the darkness. They do. John 9 reminds us that light brings salvation to those who are blind and who recognize their blindness. It's what Jesus was referring to in that section of Scripture that's known as the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who recognize that they have nothing, nothing about their life that makes them worthy before God. Nothing that I can place on the table and say, God, you need to be glad that you, you have me on your team. We have nothing that we bring before God that is worthy of him saving us. Blessed are those who mourn, who see their sin as an affront to the holiness of God and it pricks their heart and it breaks them. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, those who see their own darkness and long for that light of God to invade their soul. And then Jesus says, for they shall see God. Their eyes will be opened and they shall see God. John 9 reminds us that that light brings not only salvation, but it also brings judgment to those who will not acknowledge the light, to those who refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. We all remember very well those words that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. Chapter 
3 of John, verses 7 through 19, says this. For God did not send his Son into the world, condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Church, we would do well this morning to feel the weight of the urgency of the mission that God has given to us. James reminds us, you are a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. That's encouraging, isn't it? But it's so true. And the older I get, the deeper that truth sinks into my mind and into my heart. That there are far less days ahead of me than there are behind me. Church, may we make the most of our brief time on this earth and live our life for his glory. We got a mission. We got to get this done. May God remind us of what he taught through the psalmist. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And may we also feel the urgency, the weight of the urgency of the mission as it relates to those in this community, in this state, and around this world who do not know Jesus. Dr. Paul Chipwood serves as our uh, executive director of the International Mission Board. And recently, he reminded us that every day in this world, I want this to sink in, every day in this world, more than 157,000 people die without knowing Jesus. Every day in this world, hell is populated by more than 157,000 people who do not know Jesus. Church, may that break our heart for people in this community and in our state who do not know Jesus. Jesus described them as sheep without a shepherd. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this age has blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Each of us in this room have family members neighbors, friends, and co-workers, students, classmates who do not know Jesus. And if they die without Jesus, they will spend eternity separated from him in a literal place called hell. That should break our heart. That's a heavy burden to bear. And may that truth burden our heart, church, May we feel the full weight of our mission. Last point is this. Jesus saw opportunity for mission in every conversation, in every need, during every day. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. You see, for Jesus, every day was filled with opportunity. Opportunity for fulfilling that mission. And this particular day in John chapter 9, 
The opportunity that presented was presented to Jesus was the human suffering of this man born blind. And Jesus wasn't concerned with assigning blame or trying to figure out the source of the man's suffering. No, he saw this man's suffering as an opportunity to do the works of God that he was called to do for the light of God to be revealed, for God to receive the glory as this man was healed physically and spiritually. Let me just remind you, each and every day of your life is filled with opportunities to shine the light of Jesus. Every conversation you have, every task you perform, every relationship you develop, every need you meet is ripe with opportunity for people to see Jesus demonstrated in and through your life. Every call you make, every email, every text, every post on social media can point people to Jesus and result in lives that are changed for eternity. Those relationships you have, the place where you live, the neighbors you have, the friends you have, the place where you work, it's not coincidental, folks. It's not accidental. No, behind all of that is a sovereign God who is weaving those relationships and those events and those circumstances of your life and other lives together for his glory. Jesus saw opportunity in every conversation, in every need, every day of his life. That was his mission. And isn't that our mission as well? That's why we have the Arkansas Dixie Jackson Mission Offering. So other folks like Kay can hear the truth, can see the truth of the gospel, respond in faith to Jesus, be connected to a local church and make disciples. What happens when the light goes out into the world? What happens when the light leaves the building and goes out into the community? We're going to find out. In just a few moments, what's going to happen? May we desire the passion of Jesus. May we understand the urgency of the mission before us. And may we open our eyes to the opportunities that this day holds for someone to hear about Jesus. Open their eyes and believe. Together, let's reach this community, this state, this world for Christ while it is light. We've got a job to do. We've got a mission before us. Let's get it done while it is still light. Let me pray for us. In just a moment, we're going to stand together after I pray. and we're going to have a time of invitation. Allow you the opportunity to respond to whatever God may be saying in your life. I encourage you to listen closely to the Spirit now with what the Spirit of God will say to you where you are.
what God's Spirit would say to this church. I want to encourage you to pray along these lines. Maybe right now you want to pray. Lord, help me embrace the passion of Jesus for the mission before me. Maybe as you think about passion, you're thinking it's just not there right now. There are so many other things on my to-do list and sharing Jesus is not part of it. Would you just pray that prayer? God, help me embrace the passion of Jesus for the mission you've given to me. Maybe you need to make that public and just come to this altar in a few moments and pray along those lines. Do you live with a sense of urgency because of the darkness around you? We've been given a wonderful, wonderful message sent out to reconcile through Jesus men and women and boys and girls to himself. Do you live with that sense of urgency, that weight of the mission? Oh, would you just pray, Lord, help me live with a sense of urgency because of the weight of the mission before me? Would you just break my heart, God, for those in my life who do not know Jesus? Remind me each day that I just may be that person that needs to tell them about Jesus, and if I don't, they're not going to hear. And one day they're going to die, and they're going to live eternity in hell. Oh, Father, would you just give me that sense of urgency? And then would you pray this way, Lord, help me see opportunity for mission in every conversation I have, every need that I see, every day of my life. May it be lived for your honor and glory. And then perhaps there's someone here this morning that does not know Jesus. You're living in spiritual darkness. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for your sin, that you do not have to die for that sin. He has died for you in your place. And he will give you eternal life. He will forgive your sin this morning if you'll just confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God's raising from the dead. If you need to do that, I'm going to be down front. There'll be others, I'm sure, down here. Be happy to pray with you along that line. If you need to be saved today, Make that decision now. Father, speak to us through your spirit. Lead us to respond in a way that brings honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.